morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. My name's Jamie. Uh, I am the pastor elder, primarily most weeks responsible for the preaching of God's word as we gather in this place. And uh, hopefully we'll get there soon enough. My iPad uh, got really, really hot about five minutes ago. And so I don't know if iPads are like Mission Impossible glasses, if they eventually just explode and have a shelf life. That would be a great way to get you to upgrade your device, maybe. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen. If it does, then we'll be able to say we almost got through the entire book of Acts, but I don't anticipate that. And so my mindset is that we will be able to say just a few minutes from now that we will have worked our way in the context of our Sunday gatherings from start to finish through this entire book of the Bible. That's incredible. Um, And we should be very encouraged by that. I'm calling this the the season finale, not to be confused with the series finale, as we'll see just a few moments from now, but certainly the the final episode, as perhaps you've heard me say before in this series, of this Netflix content licensing executive's dream known as the book of Acts. The story, if you're not familiar with the early New Testament church, the story of the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the farthest reaches of the known world, the story of Jesus fulfilling his promise to build his church with the gates of hell, absolutely powerless to stop it, as we'll see this morning and have seen every week of this series. It's the story that I've said from the very beginning uh, is one of a bunch of ordinary people uh, like you and me, empowered by the extraordinary spirit of God, turning the world upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's a story, as we'll see this morning, that lives on, that many of us know this truth to be um, evident and real in our lives and, and in our church and in our culture, but we'll see it all the more this morning. It's a story in which you and I, like the Apostle Paul and his friends, have been cast as characters with an incredibly meaningful part to play in a very small paragraph, mind you, of a very big story of redemption that God planned before time began. This morning presents us with an opportunity, you might say, to see our place in the story itself, to see that that the book of Acts is really just the beginning, to see that God is still on the move, to see that Jesus is still building his church, to see that the Spirit is still pleased to empower God's people for God's mission, to see that that there continues to be no obstacle to the advancement of the gospel that God cannot overcome. And so with that being said, if you have a Bible, you can open up to uh, Acts chapter 28 this morning, the final chapter of the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles and track with us using that as a resource. If you don't own a Bible or the translation that you brought in with you is a little bit difficult to track with, then please take that Bible as the churches give to you. Let me pray for us and, and we'll dive in and we'll, we'll get to going on the season finale. Lord God, thank you for the book of Acts. There's no other book like it in the canon of scripture. In this book and through this book, we get a, a beautiful and compelling picture of the early New Testament church in action. God, we get to see history in the making and history that, that you continue to make in our day and age. God, we live in a culture in which it's so easy to quickly move on to the next thing, and not only to do that, but to already have the next dozen things in the queue, so to speak. And so I pray that you would help us this morning to uh, put a bow on this, this walkthrough of this book of the Bible, that you would help us to monument, to see the ways in which you've moved in us and through us as a result of our time in this book together. God, I pray that we would walk away encouraged that 
this is a story that continues on, that we're a part of, that we would be encouraged to know that you continue to build your church, Jesus, and we get to participate in that, and it is an effort that will not fail. And along with that encouragement, I pray that, that you would exhort us through your word, that you would call us to action, that we would walk away from this morning not willing to sit on our hands, to sit in the bleachers and to watch others participate, but would see the ways in which you've uniquely called us to be a part of this very mission that continues on so that we might go out and turn the world upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ, empowered by your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you work in our hearts? Without you, there will be no change. We're desperate for you, Spirit of God, same spirit at work in the book of Acts, to move in our midst in these moments that we have together with your divinely inspired word opened before us. I pray that we would walk away nourished, encouraged, convicted, challenged, and ready to make your mark on the world ultimately because it's ultimately about your glory. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. So the last two chapters of the book of Acts, if you haven't been around the, the last couple weeks or maybe you're new uh, to Crosspoint, last couple chapters of the book of Acts tell the story of the Apostle Paul's treacherous journey to Rome. The, the last recorded voyage in this epic adventure known as the book of Acts. At this point in the story, Paul is a man in chains a prisoner in transport, having been uh, accused by the Jewish leaders of threatening peace and, and desecrating the, the Jerusalem temple. He's on his way to Rome to ultimately present his case to, to Caesar, the Supreme Court of Appeal, you might say, which he has every right to do as a Roman citizen. But as we've come to see throughout the book of Acts, nothing comes easy. The, the ship transporting Paul to Rome, going back to last week, gets caught up in a violent storm, one that leaves most everyone on board without any hope of survival. In fact, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, says all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Looking at the story from a sheerly human perspective, we might expect the book of Acts to have ended with chapter 27, for there not to be a 28th chapter. The apostle Paul going down with the ship sinking to the bottom of the Mediterranean, never to be seen again. But, but that's not the story that God said he was authoring, right? If you've been around, you know that God said that Paul would make it to Rome. You know that God said that Paul would appear before Caesar. We know that God said that none on board the ship would be lost, and God's not a liar. God always makes good on his promises. His word always proves true. His invisible hand of providence cannot and will not be thwarted which is why chapter 27 ends with these words. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Picking up where we left off last week, sounds much like the end of chapter 27. There's a reiteration of that rescue language. Verse one of chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Just to catch us all up to speed Bring the map up a couple final times in this series just so we can track with, with where the Apostle Paul and his friends have, have been journeying. This, this adventure um, that makes up chapters 27 and 28 of the book of Acts started uh, down in Caesarea, the bottom right-hand corner of the map. And you can see Paul and his friends traveled upward around Cyprus and then west 
and then down uh, to the south side of the island of Crete, right there in the middle of the map. And that's where everything uh, went wrong. Ultimately, uh, the Apostle Paul and everyone else on board the ship were pushed out to sea westward. And, and the shipwreck ultimately occurred on that tiny little island uh, south of Sicily, my hometown, the island of Malta. That, that little island, just so you know, look around. Not a lot of land around that tiny little island, is there? The, the tiny little island of Malta is only about 10 miles in length. It's really small. It's about 50 miles off the coast of Sicily. In other words, the alternative to Malta is the bottom of the ocean. Just to put into perspective the providence and mercy of God in bringing everyone on board this ship safely to land. Verse two tells us when they arrived on the island, the native people, Luke says, showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You just picture them like sitting there like watching, watching Paul's hand like, when, when is he gonna eventually die? In a matter of just a few verses, Paul is both demonized and deified. Kind of crazy, Right? Declared to be an evil murderer, unable to, to escape the snake bite of justice, you might say, though he had escaped the angry sea, only then to be declared a god in surviving the strike of the serpent. Throughout the book of Acts, we've, we've seen signs and wonders give support to the apostles' testimony about Jesus. You, you can just imagine Paul sitting down with the natives of Malta for a little fireside story, taking them back to the garden the very first venomous snake in human history, the deceiving serpent who led our first parents astray, telling them of, of sin's venomous curse of death pronounced upon all mankind by a holy and just and righteous God, declaring to them that, that all hope is not lost and that there's a far greater serpent conqueror than even the apostle Paul and his name is Jesus. The one who bore the sting of death in our place, absorbing the venom and draining it of its potency, you might say. The one who delivered the death blow to the venomous serpent of hell, the great viper crusher, Jesus Christ. You know there's no way that the apostle Paul is letting that one slip out of his, his uh, land of opportunity, right? That he's going to proclaim the gospel and point people to Jesus in light of what's just happened. Verse seven goes on to say, now in the neighborhood of that place, were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever was needed. Remember, We've talked about this uh, early on in the series and a few times throughout, but the book of Acts is actually the sequel to the book of Luke. In Luke's gospel account, we're, we're told of story after story after story of Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. The book of Luke 
uh, deals with, to use the language of Acts chapter one, deals with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Meaning that the book of Acts tells the story of what Jesus continued to do and teach after his ascension. That the book of Acts really could be entitled The Acts of Jesus Christ Through the Apostles and the Church by the Power of the Holy Spirit. That 28 chapters later, the wonder-working power of God is still present in the story. As those with diseases on the island are healed, which surely, again, presents the Apostle Paul with another opportunity to proclaim Jesus, the great physician who brings ultimate healing by his stripes, to use that Isaiah 53 language. The natives of Malta, were told, respond in gratitude, providing uh, for Paul and his ship, shipmates everything that they need to sustain them on the remainder of the journey to Rome, so that, verse 11, we're told, after three months, Luke says, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. So Paul and his friends spent three months on the island, waiting out the winter before boarding what was likely another Egyptian grain ship. Talk about uh, a little bit of PTSD, the very kind of ship that went down in chapter 27. This particular ship, we're told, was adorned with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux, thought to bring good fortune to sailors. Subtle little detail that, that Luke must have included as a reminder of where true good fortune comes from. God's invisible hand of providence, as Luke has been arguing for chapters now that it's Yahweh who fulfills his promises, who accomplishes his purposes for his glory and the eternal joy and good of his people. Verse 12 tells us, putting in at Syracuse, not New York, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putioli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. The final leg of this seafaring journey. Let me bring back up the map one last time. The Apostle Paul and his friends leave the island of Malta over there on the far left and make their way up the, the eastern coastline of Sicily and in the canal separating Sicily from Italy and, and right up the western coast to the, to the city of Putioli. Putioli is essentially modern-day Naples for those of you world travelers. If you've been there, you're like, holy smokes, that's a part of the book of Acts. City that, that had some sort of presence of Christianity because Paul and his friends are invited to stay with brothers there for about a week. Paul essentially makes it to the greater metropolitan area of Rome, you might say, South Metro Rome. Just as Jesus promised would come to pass, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, we talked about this verse numerous times in the final chapters of this study. We're told that the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Acts 23, 11, take courage, Paul, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Roughly two and a half years after Jesus promised Paul would make it to Rome, Paul makes it to Rome. From within the story, we, we can't see what God's doing, right? From within the story, it can seem as though God's timing is off. Two and a half years after that promise. From within the story, it can seem as though God's forgotten us, but the book of Acts declares otherwise. The book of Acts reveals to us a God who knows exactly what he's doing. The book of Acts reveals to us a God whose timing is always perfect. The book of Acts reveals to us a God who never forgets his people. Story of Acts is the, the story of a promise 
keeping, promise fulfilling, covenant keeping, covenant fulfilling God who will do whatever it takes to make sure that his redemptive purposes come to fulfillment. Paul makes it to Rome. That's a big deal in the book of Acts. Praise be to our promise making, promise fulfilling God. Verse 15 goes on to say, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and and took courage. Essentially what's going on here is Paul's version of a triumphal entry, you might say. That before Paul and his friends are able to make it inside the perimeter, ITP, to use that Atlanta language, some fellow Christ followers make their way roughly 40 miles outside the city center to meet them. Which, which had to be incredibly encouraging to the Apostle Paul because we know that he longed to see his Christian brothers and sisters in Rome. He, he wrote in Romans 1.15, a, a letter that's already been written at this point in the story of Acts, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And now he's in front of his brothers and sisters in Christ in this city face to face. Verse 16 says, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That Paul essentially is put under house arrest, which opens the door for some unique opportunities to share the gospel. We'll get there in just a moment. But continuing the story, in verse 17, it says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." I don't know about you, but if I had survived the events of chapters 27 and the beginning of chapter 28, shipwreck at sea, a ship in pieces floating my way to shore, and then bitten by a snake on the very island that I was rescued to, I'd probably have taken more than three days to recoup. Three days after the crazy, several months long journey to Rome by way of a ship in pieces, the apostle Paul gets to work. Unable to to enter the synagogues as he was accustomed to under house arrest, he calls for the Jewish leaders to come to him. And he proceeds to set the record straight, declaring his innocence, declaring his message to be not an undermining of the religion of Israel, but its fulfillment, as we've seen him say over and over again throughout the book of Acts. The response of the Jewish leaders, verse 21, and they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Who who knows why uh, the Jewish leaders had not heard of the Apostle Paul and any of these charges. Maybe they had chosen uh, back in Jerusalem not to pursue things further, knowing that the charges were trumped up charges and, and that there was no way that They were gonna make any headway before Caesar. Perhaps a letter had been sent, but in the midst of winter travel, uh, it it hadn't made its way to Rome yet. Whatever the reason, no reports about Paul are sitting in front of the faces of these Jewish leaders at this point. And yet there was a negative perception of Christianity. 
especially in this particular city, that if you were around back in chapter 18, we talked about this. According to historical records, the gospel actually made its way to the city of Rome long before the apostle Paul ever did. And it created such an uproar among the Jewish people that the the emperor kicked them out of the city in mass. An entire demographic of people displaced from their home, which is why Acts chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila were living in the city of Corinth when the apostle Paul showed up in that very city. That particular exile, to to kind of lay out the, the chronological sequence of things, had taken place 10 years prior to Paul's arrival here in Acts chapter 28, with many Jews having returned already to resettle in the city of Rome. Paul is not really of any concern to them, but Christianity absolutely is. Verse 23 says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. Again, we've seen Paul make this kind of argument in the book of Acts before, appealing to the the law and the prophets to show that the Old Testament hope of resurrection finds its fulfillment in the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth, that that what the Jews considered a sect was actually the fulfillment of what the Old Testament had been looking forward to all along, going all the way back to the very first gospel promise in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, the serpent-crushing seed of the woman, Eve. It's really... If you, if you dig literature, if you get into to little nuances, little literary devices and things that play out uh, in the world of literature, it's really fascinating. The sequel to Luke's gospel account amazingly ends very much like the original. If you go back to Luke's gospel account, what happens in the final chapter, chapter 24? You have the famous story of the road to Emmaus, right? Where Jesus shows up with a couple of disciples on a desolate dirt road and sits down with them and points Uh, them to all of the things in the Old Testament concerning himself in the law and the prophets. Here, you have not the road to Emmaus, but rather the home of Paul's house arrest, yet with the same purpose of interpreting in all the scriptures the things concerning Jesus, tying the concept of the kingdom of God to the person of Jesus Christ. Derek Thomas, in his commentary on Acts, he says this about these final verses of chapter 28. He says, Christ is the king who has come by way of a promise made in the Old Testament scriptures. He comes to rule over his people and to destroy his enemies. He will not stop until his enemies have been made a footstool on which he may rest his feet. He intends to rule over the nations of the world. Our witness, to use the language of this sermon series title, our witness and preaching must draw attention to the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ, he says. And what a thrilling and challenging message it is. On the throne of heaven sits one who has walked on this earth and felt the pain and hurt associated with this fallen world. The king of kings knows the pain of denial, loneliness, and death. The one who holds the universe in his hands has uttered, I thirst. The kingship of Jesus, he says, warns the unrepentant of hell and eternal darkness, but it comforts and reassures Christians. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Paul declares that the the crucified and risen King Jesus is the promised one, the one that the Old Testament had been looking forward to all along, that the Bible is a single overarching story of the redemption of rebellious sinners through a single mediator and hero, Jesus Christ. It's an incredible story. 
Diverse authorship over thousands of years telling one glorious, beautiful story of redemption. Verse 24, in response, we're told that some were convinced by what Paul said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, quote, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you, Paul says, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Told that some of the Jews disbelieve, others believe, that many have dull hearts, deaf ears, blinded eyes. Paul quotes the, the very same words that are not only found in the book of Isaiah, but the very words that Jesus himself quoted in explaining why the Pharisees wouldn't listen to him in the gospel accounts. Puritans used to famously say, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, that the gospel is the aroma of life to some, the stench of death to others. In this case, the stench of death to a vast majority of of disbelieving Jews, opening the door for the gospel to spread to the Gentiles all the more. And, And it does spread, as evidenced in the very last verses that make up the story of Acts. Verses 30 and 31 say, And he, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. It's kind of like the, the TV show Lost or How I Met Your Mother. Like, really? That, that's it? Just kind of comes to a close just like that, huh? Hey, we don't get any more information regarding Paul's appeal to Caesar. No outcome of the trial recorded for us. Like, we all know how the trial of O.J. Simpson went, but if you watched The People versus O.J. Simpson on Netflix and it ended without even so much as a verdict, you'd be angry, wouldn't you? Even though you know what happened. Or the trial of Stephen Avery or whatever your thing is when you, you know, watch those courtroom dramas. You wanna see a verdict of some sort, right? This whole thing has been leading to Caesar and then nothing about Caesar in the end. And not only is there no courtroom verdict, No scene involving the Apostle Paul standing before the great emperor, but there's also no recording on Luke's part of any future missionary travels of the Apostle Paul. We don't get any of that. You would think we've been tracking with Paul with a zoom lens on his life that we would just follow him all the way to his martyrdom. Evidence suggests that Paul was eventually released from this particular imprisonment and perhaps was even able to carry the gospel to Spain. But Luke doesn't give us any of those details. He leaves things very open-ended. The story of Acts coming to a close with a zoom lens on the Apostle Paul proclaiming the gospel under house arrest, in chains, yet with all boldness and without hindrance. You might ask why? What's going on there? Why such an anticlimactic ending? Maybe it's not a Netflix content licensing executive's dream. The, The final word in the original Greek translation of the book of Acts is the Greek word akalutos, which means unhindered or freely. That's a positive and hopeful picture for the church. That Paul is in change, but the gospel is not. 
that, that the book of Acts would end with the apostle Paul preaching and teaching without hindrance is unbelievably amazing when you think about the fact that the story of Acts has been one filled from cover to cover, from start to finish with threats to the advancement of the gospel over and over and over again. And yet Luke records that the gospel continues to go forth even as his putting pen to paper comes to a halt. Luke's pen stops and the gospel doesn't. Paul would go on to write 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. That man can be bound, not God's word. That man can be bound, not God's gospel. In one of the letters that Paul would go on to write under house arrest in the very city of Rome, the book of Philippians, Paul says this, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul goes on later in the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse 22, to say, all the saints greet you, church in Philippi, especially those of Caesar's household. Hey, through the ministry of a man in chains, roughly 9,000 Roman soldiers, the imperial guard, believing in the sufficiency of Caesar, are exposed to the gospel. Through the ministry of a man in chains, many fellow Christ followers are emboldened in their witness. Through the ministry of a man in chains, some within the household of Caesar himself become followers of Jesus Christ. Again, man can be bound, not the word of God, not the gospel of God. The, the way that the book of Acts comes to a close, in one sense, is meant to be a confidence booster. It's meant to instill a trust in the reader that the gospel will indeed continue to spread beyond these pages. It's one of the, the greatest to-be-continueds in all of literary history, only to be outdone by the to-be-continued of Revelation 22, I would argue. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Again, Luke's gospel account is the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The story of Acts is the story of all that Jesus continued to do and teach. And Jesus isn't done. His ministry continues on in and through the church empowered by the spirit of God. In other words, the book is finished, but the mission is not. The book of Acts ends rather abruptly and is intentionally open-ended for a reason. It's an, it's an invitation to participate in God's mission. That, that the book of Acts is the story of Jesus building his church by his grace, a story that continues until he returns that's why our church planning network is called the Acts 29 Network. Some for the first time are like, holy smokes, it all makes sense. Like you and I were part of the next chapter in the history of the church. This is a story that, that we get to participate in, you and me, as eternity impacting characters. How crazy is that? John Stott in his commentary on the final verses of Acts, he says, Luke's description of Paul's preaching with boldness and without hindrance symbolizes a wide open door through which we in our day have to pass. The acts of the apostles, he says, have long ago finished, but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the end of the world and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. That 
in some sense, this series has presented us with a window into the chapters that took place long before us, but chapters nonetheless that make up the, the very same story that you and I are a part of. That by God's grace, we, we get the honor and the privilege of, of playing a role in the greatest story that's ever been told. The story of Jesus continuing to build his church by his grace. In another of the letters that Paul would go on to write under house arrest in the city of Rome, the book of Ephesians, Paul says, Ephesians 3.10, that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. If you were around for the series that we did on the church, it was, I don't know, close to two years ago. Some of you were, some of you weren't. We talked about this. Manifold meaning many colored that it's through the church that the diverse, many-colored wisdom of God is put on display for a watching world. John Piper says, God's canvas is huge. It's the size of the created universe. And God is painting with thousands and thousands of colors and shades and textures, a picture as big as the universe and as old as creation and as lasting as eternity, a picture we call history with the central drama being the preparation, salvation, and formation of the church of Jesus Christ. And he is using thousands of different brushes, most of them very ordinary and very small because every minute detail is crucial in this painting to display the wisdom of the painter. In other words, you and I are metaphorical brushes that God is using to add gospel color to the canvas of human history in order that the world might know the many-colored wisdom of God. How amazing is that? The book of Acts is a declaration that not only will the painting be com completed, you can be confident in that, but that you and I get to participate in adding brushstrokes of Christ-exalting color to the very canvas itself. That we get the, the honor, the privilege, and the joy of making disciples that we get the honor, the privilege, and the joy of making the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth known. We get the, the honor, the privilege, and the joy of proclaiming the one true Savior and King to Jew and Gentile alike. Hey, welcome to the 29th chapter. That's the application of this morning's sermon. You're a part of it. You're a part of a rescue story for the ages. You're a part of a real-life fairy tale, as we talked about a couple chapters ago. You're a part of a, a story the likes of which the greatest fiction writers of all time couldn't possibly have dreamed into existence. And so as we close out this series, my prayer for us is incredibly simple. It's that we would walk by God's grace in the fullness of what it means to be the Acts 29 church. A bunch of ordinary people empowered by the extraordinary spirit of God, turning the world upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ. Just like our brothers and sisters so very long ago.